every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This week's episode is the third installment in our special Uncuttable Budget Items mini-series. Last December, we released a compilation of the most uncuttable budget items from every CMO and marketing leader who appeared on Demand Gen Visionaries in 2020. With more amazing interviews already in the books in 2021, it's time for part three. If you missed parts one and two, you can check them out at qualified.com slash uncuttable or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave a rating and review. Before we get into this week's episode, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at qualified.com. If you are a B2B marketer who has always dreamed of knowing when a qualified prospect is on your site and being able to talk to them instantly, now you can. Learn more at qualified.com. And now, please enjoy part three of our special Uncuttable Budget Items mini-series with your host, Ian Faison. Hey, this is Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios and your host of Demand Gen Visionaries. At the end of last year, we created our Uncuttable Budget Items mini-series to help you get a sense of where your peers will be focusing their budget dollars in 2021. And people liked it. So if you missed parts one and two, we'll link them up in the show notes. And we received a ton of great feedback from marketing executives. And essentially, we're going to keep this going. So this is going to be a recurring series. And around every 12 episodes of DGV, you'll get a new Uncuttables episode. You know, really, this is hopefully going to be helpful so that you can think about where you're spending your B2B marketing dollars, where industry trends are headed, and just generally what people are doing. So in this episode, you'll hear from some of the most remarkable and innovative minds in marketing, folks that we've had on the podcast in the past few weeks. We've had Rachel Thornton from Amazon Web Services, Robin from Matterport, Leela from SurveyMonkey, Vidya from Marketa, and many more. They discuss a variety of different things that are part of their uncuttable budget items, including beefing up their tech stack, doubling down on paid digital, how to spruce up your content engine, utilizing cutting-edge tools like conversational sales and marketing, and many more. So as we move forward in 2021, I'm personally looking forward to hearing who's leading the charge, who's going to be doing all these sort of things, what are the in-person events that are going to be part of everybody's marketing stack now that we can return to seeing each other here soon. And of course, I'm biased, but I can't wait for some of our future guests to be mentioning podcasts as some of their most uncuttable budget items going forward, especially as it relates to ABM. And of course, here at Caspian Studios, we love podcasts, so that fits. And as always, we would love to hear from you. So you can always uh, leave us a review for the show on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can shoot us an email to team at caspianstudios.com. You can drop me a note on Twitter at Ian Faison or send me a note on LinkedIn. And we love getting your feedback. We love it when people recommend guests, recommend their boss, uh, recommend their CMO. We love hearing all the clever and interesting things that you all are up to and seeing in the wild and all that stuff. So thanks so much for listening. 
Thanks so much for being part of this. And as always, you know, thank you to Qualified. They're the best presenting partner that anyone could ask for. If you haven't checked them out, go to qualified.com to learn more. The team is awesome. The product is awesome. And, uh, and they help us make this show possible. So uh, thank you to Qualified and thank you to all of you. So let's get into CMOs, our part three mini series of the most uncuttable budget items. Vidya Peters, CMO of Marketa. When I think about tactics that are most uncuttable in my budget, I have to start with the technology first because they are at the foundation of my marketing house. When I think about the role that Marketo, Salesforce, Terminus, and Engageo play, they are critical to our marketing operations, uh, Salesforce and Marketo are, but Terminus and Engageo ensure the quality of our marketing and ensuring that we're taking as targeted of an approach to ensure the highest quality leads and engagement with our prospects as possible. So that would be one, would be key elements of my technology that I couldn't live with that. Second would be the content because I'm a big proponent on really leading with content and thought leadership to earn the right to be able to have a conversation with your prospects. So it's less about pushy messages and ads, but more about answering customer questions and being helpful to them and earning the right to speak to them. So the second would be the content strategy that we've invested in. That's an area that would be an uncuttable budget item for me. And third, and this is shoring up the moat, is you still have to put money in Google AdWords and you still have to own and absolutely dominate the keywords in your category and your space and your brand words, of course. And so if someone were to cut my Google AdWords, I would say we just lost our competitive moat and, and it can take a long time to earn that back. Leela Shernivasan, CMO of SurveyMonkey. Most uncuttable. So it's less about three channels and more about like the campaign or the idea that you then feed into multiple channels and tactics. And that for me, and this is this was true before I arrived at SurveyMonkey, just to be clear, uh, is research or data-backed thought leadership content that you can package and leverage across all of your channels. And that is especially important, I think, for a challenger brand. You have to have something interesting and valuable to say. And I'll give you a couple of examples, one of which was research-backed uh, and one of which was data-backed. So on the research-backed side, I think back to, to LinkedIn and back in the day, I used to run a report that they still run, which is called Recruiting Trends. There's, it's, it's changed in, in its composition over the years. But the point was for us to be able to come to market and say, not only do we understand the recruiting space, but also we understand the key trends that leaders in recruiting are thinking about across geographies. And we built that history year over year so we could talk to how things were trending in different markets on a variety of different vectors. And that research was piped into almost everything we did from gated content to webinars to conference presentations to ads to, you know, you name it. It was just, it was something that we used across the, the board. And that was research driven, right? So running basically surveys of these key audiences and, and bringing back the results. On the data side, I think to my days at Lever, which is a recruiting software startup, and what we did there was we looked at the data that we could see in our systems as we looked across a thousand or more clients that were using our software to hire. And that gave us something really interesting and valuable to share back out with the industry in terms of what good recruiting looked like. For example, how many candidates did it take at the top of the funnel who were job applicants who just saw your job posting and applied in order for you to make one hire? Contrast that with how many referrals you needed from employees at the company to make one hire. How many days was a typical process? How many stages? 
was a difficult process. How did that look for engineers versus marketers? So we were able to package all of that up into some pretty interesting insights and bring those to market. And again, that lived in the form of gated content. It was a fodder for, for webinars and thought leadership pieces. We even, you know, we PR and press, we even produced, I'm waving a booklet in front of you at the moment that you can't see, but we produced hard copies of this and shared it out. And it was just, you know, that just, again, coming back to how do you add value to your prospect? What can you share with them that will be of insight to them? And having that be the central meat of your campaign and then figuring out how can you leverage that across as many viable channels as possible. Grant Johnson, CMO of Emburse. Well, you might be prescient because you mentioned one of them when you mentioned G2, the review sites. We both have uh, promotions there, CapTera in addition to G2, software advice in particular. There's a number of other ones I've discovered in the last year that it's like I wasn't as aware of, but those are the the big three. The other thing is page search. The funny thing about page search, uh, um, I've been in tech marketing most of my career, and I was back in the early dot-com days back when Google was not the behemoth it was, and I was spending front bridge, I don't know, 30, 40,000 a month. And nobody knew if it would work, but it worked. You know, we grew fast. Microsoft bought the company. It was a success. But we're spending a lot in paid search, and it's been massively successful for us. And then paid social. I'm not saying I'm surprised because I put a toe in the water years ago at Kofax and paid social, but it's actually driven a lot of traffic that is converting on the various, you know, websites. So those are the top three. Robin Daniels, CMO of Matterport. Number one is our digital channels. So we spend a lot of money on our various digital platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook, Google, absolutely uncuttable. That's number one. We, we get still the majority of our business comes through those channels. And it's shifting over time as, as we're, we're doing more enterprise. But for now, that's definitely a, a key channel for me. Social media marketing is so key, especially, as I said earlier, we have one of the most visually stunning products in the world. And so for me, being able to showcase that on all the great social platforms, we get so much engagement on Instagram, on Pinterest, LinkedIn, Facebook, you name it. And so we boost a lot of those posts as well. And you know, so we both have the, the, the campaigns that go out, which is I mean, the, the number one thing I mentioned, but we also have a lot of just organic posts that we then boost either from ourselves or from our users because our users are also posting a lot of this stuff. So our social channels are, are key. And then number three is, I would say, customer stories. It's something I've been trying to invest in heavily. You know, in the majority of companies that I've seen or work with in Silicon Valley, a lot of them have better storytelling sometimes not all the time, but then they, then they have products, if we're honest. I think with Matterport, it's actually the reverse. Our product is amazing, but our storytelling has been lacking a little bit. And so I'm investing a lot in storytelling, especially customer storytelling. I think nobody tells the story of what's possible with Matterport and our customers. So investing in figuring out the right customer stories, promoting them across all our different channels, getting them into the press, getting them into media is really, really important for us. But it takes investment. So that's that's the third one. Joni Wang, Director of Marketing at Expensify. I think for us, you know, I recognize that brand is often sometimes the opposite of demand gen to some extent. But I do think that it is a very important factor, at least from a top of funnel perspective, to stir that initial interest, to create that initial awareness about our product. And so we go one further and the, the budget item that I think is uncuttable is this idea of 
creating experience, right? And so this budget is really setting the foundation for a lot of the demand gen work that we'll do later on. And so anytime you come across Expensify, what does that experience look like, right? Again, when we amplify our champions and uh, spread through word of mouth, we make sure that we have a lot of good content. We make sure that whether it's on a review site, whether that's when you're looking up, Googling something about us, that everything that you come across is a positive experience. And I think that that is super important, whether it's on a high spend perspective like the Super Bowl, or if it's just when we go to a trade show, you know, what are we doing? How are we extending that experience to the uh, prospects and the people that we meet at that experience, right? What kind of events we often host like extra events or, you know, table side chats, networking events, things like that to help facilitate those uh, interactions and transactions so that it's not just the product we're selling, but it's the community, the experience and the environment. And I would say the second one sort of tied to that in tied to product as well is like a budget for surprise and delight tactics, right? We can get people excited about product. They'll talk about it. So what does that look like? Uh, from a demand gen perspective, we recently launched this initiative called Swipe to Win. And so every time you use the Expensify corporate card or credit card, every time you swipe, you're entered for a chance to win uh, like a surprise and delight gift that you can choose to send to someone that you love or someone who needs a pick-me-up, et cetera. And so we call that a demand gen tactic because it might not feel like that because we're rewarding current users, but the the initiative is to gift it to someone else so that it can make their day. And as a result, their first experience is a positive one with Expensify, right? So that later down the road, when they want or need an expense management software or card or whatever, will be someone that they think about first. And so that's kind of a mash between content and experience. But you know, for us, we call that surprise and delight tactics. And I think the last one is trade shows. You know, We have really built our brand and as well as our customer base through a lot of trade shows that we've been fortunate enough to develop a community in. And it's something that we believe that we'll always you know, be a part of. And so to constantly go back every year and to continue to nurture those relationships is something that's super important to us. Rachel Thornton, Vice President of Worldwide Marketing for Amazon Web Services. So again, two things. We look at what was the what was the outcome we were hoping for on the campaign, what was the impact, and what was the incrementality. We love to dive deep across marketing, across the campaigns that we do. I think the best way to figure out how you're doing from a measurement perspective is going to the campaign and the demand gen program with a clear set of objectives and outputs that you're looking to get. If you don't have that clarity, I think it's a little harder to come back and say, well, how do we think we did? So at the outset, when we're developing campaigns, we always set up, again, what do we want the, the impact of this to be? How do we want to define that? And then how do we want to measure it? Marketing has a, a BI team, a business intelligence team. So we spend a lot of time with that team figuring out how we craft the campaigns and craft also our experiments. So we will do, in some cases, upfront experiments to determine uh, whether it's A-B testing or looking at lift, looking at conversion rate. So once we have the metrics we want dialed in, then we do teams who will usually do a weekly business review. Uh, at my level, I do a weekly business review across all of my teams. And we look at, you know, what was the outcome? What did we get? What was things like, so take leads for a minute or, you know, acquisition. How did we do on things like conversion rate? 
and what did we expect it to be versus what it was. So I think that's always important. Sometimes you'll get numbers, but if you don't have a context for, oh, hey, we saw 25% growth. Well, were you expecting 20, in which case, great? Or were you expecting 30, in which case, okay, tell me, tell me why not 30, or tell me why 25 as opposed to 30. So we spend a lot of time sort of setting up front what the metrics are. And then we're really good as a team, I think, about going in and looking at them, inspecting them. We have good mechanisms, like I said, for inspection. So whether it's weekly, monthly, or quarterly, always looking at how we did, how that performed in the context of what we thought would happen. And then again, if we like what we see, how do we scale it quickly? Esther Flammer, Vice President of Demand Generation at Conga. I would say the things that we're doing from an ABM standpoint are uncuttable. And largely because we do, we see so much ROI and we see a lot of the bigger deals and we just, we see a lot, a lot of true qualified pipeline come from that. And so, and when I'm talking about ABM, unfortunately, it's not like one channel or tactic. It's actually very multi-channel, but it is really a targeted effort. And so starting with the technology that provides propensity to buy data, and there's a lot of them out there, we use Mintigo, um, but utilizing, you know, kind of that cross analysis of what are the companies that are actually looking to buy your solutions? Uh, starting with that in terms of really defining what those target accounts look like, adding in targeted advertising so that we can warm them up and truly, again, personalize to that specific business, that specific vertical, that specific segment, that specific persona, actually, you know, making sure that we have consistent messaging from our ads to our webinars, to our direct mail strategy, to our SDR cadences and the outreaches that they're doing. It's a fully integrated effort. And I think it, it leads to a lot of what we were talking about just in terms of that experience um, and ensuring that we're delivering the right message to the right person at the right time, that it's personal, that it's relevant, and that it is aligned with their where they are in their buyer's journey. The second, I would actually say, is largely around still events. Um, and when I say events, it's obviously shifted in the last year where it's less, you know, much less so on the, the live person event. We're not, we're not doing any of that. And we don't really plan on doing, you know, any mass scale, large scale in-person events this year. But events are still a, a big strategic focus for us and a great channel that we've been able to capitalize on both from an internal kind of we are hosting a large scale event and it's going to be a virtual event for our customers, a, a user conference. Um, that is a huge amount of some of our focus and, and where we put budget is on our customers and on our users and how do we continue to surround them and get them trained and get them understanding, you know, all of the different solutions that we have. So there's a lot that we focus on there and, and virtual is actually a great way to get in touch with more people than that you could potentially get on to come on a plane, you know, get on a plane and, and join us at a user conference. So the reach is much, much larger, but we have to be much more focused and purposeful and intentional about the content to keep them engaged. We've also seen a lot of success with virtual events that are at a smaller scale, like field events um, that are more intimate. So again, with a target account strategy where you're not doing the in-person events anymore, but you can do virtual field events, even in an intimate setting, focused even surrounding a Zoom call. That's something that we've we found a lot of success with. The third tactic or channel um, 
and, and I'm sure everyone has done this in the last year, especially we've ramped up our digital quite a bit. Um, digital is hugely important for us to continue to spend on, especially given the environment that we're in. But again, we have to be much more strategic and purposeful about how we actually go to market, what kinds of messages, calls to action that we're looking at, the targeting of, of where we're placing um, ads, et cetera. Those are hugely important and and aligned to our larger strategy, but digital is a huge channel that we'll continue to invest in. Marie Gasset, Vice President of Growth at Confluent. So my first one, um, maybe not a surprise, measurement and data, analytics, tracking the underlying systems, thoughtful data pending. I know it's not sexy, it's not glamorous, but it's so important in terms of understanding what's actually driving impact about understanding our prospects, our customers. So that's far and away my number one. My number two I put SEO and web optimization, just, you know, generally that organic channel, it's so high intent, such quality there. So like whatever you can do to just beef up your SEO, get that organic traffic and then make the web experience really, really thoughtful. And finally, you know, not a surprise either some um, SEM and paid social. I have an amazing team here at Confluent managing that stuff. And we've just had some really great outcomes. And so I've gotten increasingly excited about those budget items. Lynn Capozzi, CMO of Acquia. Well, demand gen is always my first. Whenever I get a budget for the year and think about it, I start with demand gen. So I start with what do I need to generate? What do I need to generate for bookings and for revenue? And I back in from there to figure out what are my dollars that I need for demand gen in order to support that. So first and foremost, it's, you know, it's demand gen. That's number one for me. I'm never going to kind of take that away. Second is what I call my digital efforts, which is content, everything to do with my website. It's content, it's production on the site, it's making sure they have the right tools to capture analytics information that's on the site. So that's the second one for me is is in terms of digital. And the third is our efforts with our partner community. So our partners are really an important part of our business and making sure that we have enough, everything from kind of enablement to joint programs, to go to market solutions together. So I'd say that the partners is kind of the third. So it's, it's you know, the demand gen, my digital marketing budget for, related to the site and partners. Those are probably my three top that I allocate first. Len Fisher, Senior Vice President of Demand Generation at Okta. This one's a tough one because I, I would imagine if any tactic is working, I'm not cutting it. But I'll just say, if I look forward and I say kind of where I think the future is coming from, you know, I think any digital portion or digital motion or digital investment is probably on the list of things that I wouldn't cut. We do a good job in our digital motion. You can always do better in everything, but I see that as something that has to be integrated in a digital motion. How do I make, how do I turn a digital motion to an in-person motion or have a simultaneous because people want choice. They might want not go to events ever again, or some people might want to, but you want to capture the people that can or don't. So it's probably one. The second one is, you know, technology stack. I have a pretty big department, but it would even be bigger if I didn't have core technology that would allow us to be scalable, to be much more efficient in our in our efforts. So I, I feel like if you're not investing in marketing technology as part of demand motion, or if you don't have a seat at that table, that's a mistake. And then the third one, which I hope I don't have to cut is events, right? Partly because I want to come back to an environment where events are 
cool again and that people are okay coming out because that just means, you know, the world got back to a little bit more sense of normal. So that one's a little selfish, but hopefully true events usually are a good thing for us. One is you see a lot of great people within the company. And if I can put those great people in front of a prospector and customer to talk about what's going on in the market and what their challenges they're having, it typically translates into a really good conversation or a really happy prospect or a more interested prospect. So I feel like I have a really strong team around me at Okta. And the more I can put them in front of the right people, the better off I am. And we can do that in an event. Dave DeBaugh, CMO of CleverTap. Uncuttable budget. I love it. Ian, I want you to know the first time I've been asked that specific question in that way. You know, the first part, which we've spent a significant amount of time talking about, is our database building efforts. I really don't think that, you know, successful B2B brands can actually really be successful without that sort of in play. There is the... Uh, you know, scale of economy, you know, when your brand becomes Cisco or an Oracle level, then the uh, budget spending is different and what you cut out would be different. But in our case, definitely uh, database spend is, you know, one of the things I would not in any way veer away from. The second place that might be surprising to a lot of people, One of our, you know, biggest sort of challenges globally, and remember we're in six different regions, is, you know, how do we keep the CleverTap brand fresh? So I'm a big fan of actually having large PR teams that are able to help a company expand pretty rapidly in a specific market. So having been at CleverTap now for a quarter, and, and sort of looking back at the previous history of the brand, not a lot of effort was put into PR in North America or Latin America. Um, so one of our first things was to, you know, begin that process of getting um, sort of traditional PR in place so that we have the right amount of sort of air cover for the uh, for the brand as we look to expand it. One of the things we haven't talked about at all is our sort of our vertical strategy and how important the vertical strategy is. And PR certainly plays a large role in that. It's not just, you know, writing a press release and putting it out there. It's, you know, speaking at a e-commerce conference, speaking at a fintech conference or webinar, and then having not just myself, which I personally brand as the backwards hat CMO, so uh, which is our, our new Clever Tap podcast, the shameless plug time. So PR is my second thing. And then I guess my third thing is going to be boring for you. And I sort of apologize for this, but I'm based here in the uh, Silicon Valley. Um, Ian, I believe you are as well. You know, if you drive down the 101 freeway back in the day, you would see all these billboards on the uh, on the side of the freeway. As much as I, you know, would would love to um, regionally target with billboards someday for CleverTap, we do it virtually, and we do that through our PPC program. The sort of my take on PPC is different than a lot of other marketers in the B two B space. A lot of other marketers in the B2B space would simply say to you, what's the return on investment for the amount of money we spend on our our pay-per-click ads? 
what are we really getting back from them? And the truth is, if you just look at stuff like that, then you would you would probably stop spending money on PPC ads. And what it really comes down to is brand recognition. And you want you want people to be able to see your brand and think about your brand. In our particular case, you know, if you're doing a search for marketing engagement automation tools, you would want people to see your brand every time. And so the way I think about it and the way we um, allocate the dollars is, yes, we do set some of the dollars aside specific for ROI, but a large portion of our PPC budget is really just billboarding uh, budget dollars. And it's providing us a significant amount of brand recognition, which you need to do time and time and time and time again in order to really build a, a growth brand in the B2B space in a lot of the markets that we're in. Naaman Khan, CMO of Zeppelin. Yeah, I love this question, uncuttable. Well, at Zeppelin, number one is content. And I know when people think of budget items, they may not think of content. They may just think, oh, that's organic. It doesn't cost anything. I don't agree. I I think content is an investment area. You know, at Zeppelin, we have some great content writers. We have some vendors that we use on the content side. We have tools that we use to stand up our content. Like we're, you know, going to be moving, we're on Medium. We're going to, you know, move off of Medium pretty soon, bring that onto our .com. That's all content. We want to SEO optimize that content. That takes investment. So to do content right, to have like a SEO strategy with like message clustering and then making sure that you show up on that first page, like that's all investment. That doesn't just like happen overnight because you hope you write good content. Everything just like is like magic, like it's a plan. That's not something I think we would cut given our product is really community driven for the most part. The second investment area is our website. And again, when people think of tactics, they may not always think of website because we're a hybrid self-service and sales assist model. You know, our website is super, super critical. So making sure that that website is optimized for top of funnel, middle and purchase is important. And again, that doesn't just happen. You have to be very thoughtful about when you update your website with different features, when you want to run a promo, when you want to spin up a landing page and how will that affect the overall kind of revenue footprint for your company? And then the third one, which might sound maybe a little odd, is essentially growth experiments in our MarTech stack. And I put those together because you just can't have one without the other. You know, for us to drive uh, revenue, drive demand, it's all about running experiments through the high volume of visitors we get, the high volume of freemium traffic that we get, just the very high volume of expansion that we get. And this is one of the things that I loved learning about at my time in Dropbox is just how much insight there is on users. We have all of this great data on usage behavior. We have demographic and firmographic data of where they come from. It's like a treasure chest for a, for a marketer to be able to say, hey, like, it looks like this percentage of users are acting this way in March. Why is that? And is there anything we can do to help them? And you know, investing in those areas is super, super critical to us. ManGen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to qualified.com to learn more.